Let's pray. Blessed Lord, you have caused all the scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. A few weeks ago, I received a phone call from a brother at church who was keen to catch up for coffee when restrictions lifted. It was the first coffee catch-up that I had post-lockdown, and it was excellent. If I had to catch up the content of our conversation in just two questions, they would be this. How do I know? How do I grow? How can I be sure I really am in Christ, that my sins really are forgiven? And how can I make progress in my faith? To use the theological terms, you could say, is assurance possible? Is sanctification possible? And I suspect this brother is not alone in asking those kinds of questions. In fact, I know he's not alone. Not because I hear those questions all the time from different people in some form or another, but because I ask those questions myself. Sometimes more than others, sure, but always sometimes. How can I know? How can I grow? How would you answer those questions? What would you say to our brother? What would you say to yourself? Well, our passage for today in Colossians chapter 2 is a great help to us. For here, Paul the pastor shows us what we naturally do to find assurance and change. And he reveals to us why those things never work. And finally, he reminds us that what we really need is Christ, that the deeper we go with him, the stronger we will grow. And the more we strengthen our faith, the more we will overflow. So let's consider each of those things in turn. So firstly, this passage is like a mirror that shows us the natural tendency of our hearts in seeking after assurance and growth. In a nutshell, we do the opposite of what Paul encourages us in chapter 2, verse 6. Let me read that again. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Our natural movement, however, is to continue to live our lives in ourselves. As Paul continues, we naturally drift towards philosophies, commands, teachings that depend upon human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. And while we might cringe or even deride the obviously shallow stuff that fills up self-help shelves, there is a sort of self-help Christianity that receives Jesus as Lord and then continues to live each day as if it's basically all up to us. As if Christ gets us started, but then we need to add things on to really know and to really grow. Because did you notice that all the examples that Paul gives of human philosophies and teaching in this chapter are not things that you would hear in the world out there, but things you're far more likely to hear in a church. These are the fine sounding arguments of chapter 2 verse 4. 
And they sound fine because they sound super Christian, super spiritual. They have the appearance of wisdom, as Paul says at the end of this passage. Whether it's religious traditions or like the New Moon Festival and Sabbath Day in verse 16, or religious experiences like those described in verse 18, or religious rules and regulations like verse 21, we're all prone to look for that something extra, something in ourselves that we can point to and say, yes, I am the real deal. And so for us, it could be something like our knowledge of the Bible or our understanding of theology. It could be the fact that we belong to a particular church or tradition or denomination. We might say our preaching is solid. Others might say our worship is vibrant. It could be the faithfulness of our political views or the fervency of our service. It could be the effectiveness of your ministry or even just your own feelings about God in any given moment. Whatever it is, the human heart has the remarkable capacity to latch on to anything other than Jesus as the reason for our hope, the foundation of our confidence and the source of our growth. Now, the presenting danger here in this passage are teachers who will lead us away from Christ, who will judge us by the things that we do or don't do. But teachings like these are dangerous precisely because we deeply desire self-dependence. And we're so easily distracted from Christ and we're so quick to measure our Christian lives by our own knowledge or our own effort or our own experiences or our own obedience. But Paul says, don't let anyone judge you by these things. Don't let anyone disqualify you on these grounds. Now, there's a warning here, of course, maybe especially for people like me not to judge others by these things. But there's also a wonderful comfort. Don't judge yourself by these measures. Don't judge yourself by your own religiosity, by your own reason, or by your own experience, or your own obedience. Because if you do, they will fail you. As Paul says in verse 8, they will take you captive. They will not lead you into greater freedom. Which leads us on to our second point today, this natural movement of continuing in ourselves, trusting in ourselves, and these human philosophies that depend on our own human effort. That It never works. And Paul is at pains to tell us why. It never works because human philosophies are empty, and it never works because we are dead. So again and again, Paul hammers home the emptiness of any philosophy that depends at all on human or worldly things other than Christ. He calls them hollow and deceptive in verse 8. He says that special religious traditions and festivals are actually mere shadows of reality. Overblown spiritual experiences he labels as idle notions. Strict regulations, he says, are of no value at all in bringing about any real change in our hearts. And so consider those things we listed before. A perfectly orthodox theological system, disconnected from Christ, is empty. Powerful and effective preaching, disconnected from Christ, is empty. 
Being part of the right church or tradition is empty without Christ. Profound spiritual experiences are empty without Christ. Perfect church attendance without Christ, it's empty, it's hollow. Strict practices and performances without Christ are empty. Pointing to how many converts you've made. Even something like that, disconnected from the life of Christ, is empty. Anything that depends on our own efforts is hollow, it's a shadow. It will not lead us into assurance and they cannot make us more holy. Trusting in these things will either puff us up with a flimsy and false security or it will pull us down into frustration and fruitlessness. So depending on ourselves for assurance and growth is like eating only Milky Way chocolate bars and then wondering why you're still hungry. It's like drinking salt water and wondering why you're thirsty. It's like stapling oranges onto a withered tree and calling yourself a gardener. Or to use the much more shocking image of the Bible, it's like putting makeup on a corpse and expecting it to show signs of life. That's the fact of the matter. Human philosophies are empty because human beings are dead. We were, Paul says, dead in our sin. We're spiritually lifeless, and so people like us don't need life hacks. We don't need pep talks. We need resurrection. We need to go through death and into a new kind of life, a life that comes to us from the outside and then transforms us from the inside out. And so that's why all throughout the Bible, God never shows up to doubting people and says, actually, you're not as bad as you think you are. Come on, Moses, just believe in yourself. No, he always points them back to his character and his promises. He says, trust me. Because our doubts flood in at the very moment we turn in on ourselves and lose sight of the Lord. And so it would be a disaster if I said to our dear brother over coffee, take heart. You've been going to church for so many years. Don't worry about it. Or look how generous you are. Or if I pointed him to anything else that he had done or is doing or could do. Because what we need is to set before ourselves and each other the encouragement of verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See, what we need is to give up our self-dependence and collapse into the arms of Christ. Instead of the cheap, fast food of our own efforts, we need to be nourished by him. Instead of stapling fruit onto a dead tree, we grow by tapping our roots roots deeper down into Jesus. Instead of anxiously trying to fill ourselves up, we need to draw upon the ocean of Christ's fullness. Instead of managing our own external behaviours, we need to overflow from what has already been given to us in the gospel. We receive Jesus as Lord and then continue living our lives in him. And so it shouldn't surprise us that right in the heart of this passage, Paul is again proclaiming Christ. Even as he warns against all of the dangers of other teachings, he calls us back again to the significance of who Jesus is 
and what he has done for us. And so in verses 6 to 15, we find the answers to our questions. How do I know? How do I grow? Well, Paul says we know by looking to Jesus and we grow by living in Jesus. In other words, the foundation of our assurance is the finished work of Christ and the fountain of our progress is the fullness of Christ. So first, notice how Paul sets before us the finished work of the cross. Here is this event staked within human history that stands outside of ourselves. The cross is the place of full forgiveness for all our sins. It's the complete cancellation of our condemnation and the decisive defeat of all of our enemies. There in his death, Jesus deals definitively with anything that could stand against us. Be it our own sin, be it the judgment of God's law, or even the devil of himself. Christ conquers all. During our Christianity Explored course earlier in the year, one of the guys in the group asked this question, how can we know that our sins really are forgiven? And he wondered if we could be given some sort of certificate that we could point to and say, yes, I know. And there is something right in that. We do need something outside of ourselves, something beyond our own feelings and even beyond the strength of our own faith as the foundation for our security. And the Bible's answer to that, I think, is the cross. The cross is our certificate. It's not a piece of paper in our hands. It's actually far better than that. It's the concrete expression of God's love and mercy and grace. And it's a fixed moment in human history that can never be snatched away from us. And so Paul says, he forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so the movement of faith is a movement away from ourselves and our works to this great work of God in Christ. But as we look to Christ in faith, this death outside of us does not remain outside of us. By faith, we're united with Christ in his death. We die with him and then are raised with him into his resurrection life. And so verse 11 says that Christ's death is the fulfillment of the Old Testament sign of circumcision. Our old selves are cut away and we are marked as the true children of God. But this is a circumcision performed by the hands of God and it's Christ's blood that is shed, not ours. And so it becomes a gift for both men and women. It's a blessing for Jew and for Gentiles. Verse 12 explains how the New Testament sign of baptism teaches us the very same thing. We go down into death with Jesus and are raised with him into new life. And so Paul can say with certainty, you have been brought to fullness and God made you alive with Christ and your whole self ruled by the flesh has been put off. Our relationship with God is secure. It's not like it's on a dimmer switch, fluctuating up and down, depending on our own performance or our own feelings. Rather, 
He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In Christ, the light is firmly on and our whole life is flooded by his gracious light. And so the foundation of our assurance is the finished work of Christ, received by the empty hands of faith and made real to us as the Holy Spirit unites us with the Lord Jesus. And then the same is true for our growth in the Christian life, for the fountain of our progress is the fullness of Christ. And so over and against the hollow and deceptive and empty ways of the world, Paul presents Christ. He says, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus is the son and the image of God. He's the creator and the reconciler of the whole universe. As one theologian says, there's not a single square inch of all creation over which Christ does not declare mine. And as we've just seen, we've been brought into this fullness. We've been filled up with Christ as he dwells in us. And so there is no area of our lives that is outside of Christ's sphere of influence. And for every situation we face, he has the resources to help us. So from loving your terrible teacher in a third period on a Wednesday to resolving a fight that you're having with your friend... From loving difficult people in your workplace to overcoming challenges in your marriage. From resisting those private sins which no one will ever see to trying to speak publicly to others about Jesus. Christ has everything you need to serve him faithfully. And he is not a stingy giver. And here's the thing, he even gives to us traditions. Things like baptism and the Lord's Supper as pictures of the gospel. And he gives to us experiences in worshipping him that fill our hearts with peace and with his word. And he does give to us instruction and guidance, as we'll see in the next few weeks in Colossians 3, so that we know what a life with Christ looks like. These traditions and experiences and instruction without Christ is empty, but with Christ they lead us further and deeper with him. And he does give to us the rich and dense theology of Colossians 1 and 2. Not because Paul is some crusty theologian who wants to show off how smart he is, but because Paul is a loving pastor. And Paul is putting before us in full technicolor what we most desperately need. Christ. The Christ who comes to us clothed in all of the glory of the gospel the only sure foundation of our confidence and the only true fountain of progress. And so Paul urges us, stay rooted in Christ. We aren't built up by adding extra things on. We grow by going deeper into what we already have. We don't become thankful or generous or loving or gracious or merciful or joyful or anything else by sheer effort. Rather, we overflow with these things as we're strengthened in our faith. We receive him as Lord at the beginning of our Christian lives and then the whole Christian life is a continuing in him. It's walking each day with Jesus, moment by moment, trusting in him and drawing upon his unending supply. It's listening to him as our friend, as he speaks to us in the scriptures. 
It's opening our hearts to him in prayer. It's enjoying the fellowship of life with his family in the church as we point one another again and again to the gospel. It's a constant turning out from ourselves as we cling on to Christ for all that he is worth. And it's not letting go until the last day when he returns in glory and we will finally have full confidence and be made completely holy as we see our Lord face to face. John Newton once wrote a letter to a group of women who had written a letter to him asking how they could grow as Christians. And he wrote to them that the very best advice he could give was that they keep looking to Jesus. He wrote, the duty, the privilege, the safety, the unspeakable happiness of a believer are all comprised in that one sentence, looking unto Jesus is the object that melts the soul into love and gratitude. See, that's what I want to say to our dear brother. It's what I want to say to myself every single day. And it's God's word to us today in Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Amen.